Jewish Latin Princess, episode 32, Lee Hershkovich, author of Shattered Illusions and creative director of C-Teens. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess, everyone. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Today, I welcome my youngest guest yet, Lee Hershkovich. When you hear her speak, you will not believe that she's only in her early 20s. The confidence, the maturity, the wisdom, the clarity. Gosh, I wasn't like that at 24, and I was considered to be quite mature, or at least I thought. Lee just published a novel, Shattered Illusions, and is hard at work on her second novel. She's also she's a prolific writer, and she is also the creative director of C-Teens, the largest Jewish youth group in the world. You might be familiar with C-Teens, especially if you have if you're the mother of teens. And if you're not, go check it out because you want your teen to be involved. <laughs> it's really a very awesome organization. As an offshoot of working with teens from all over the nation on C-Teens, she also started the Gesher Project, where through her writing, she hopes to bridge the gap between Jewish and secular thought. I just realized that I asked Lee a question in which I mentioned the book War and Peace by Tolstoy, and for some odd reason, I said Dostoevsky. I guess it's not odd, they are both Russian and both great writers, but I admit to knowing that War and Peace was written by Tolstoy and not Dostoevsky. So I am announcing that publicly and I am so sorry. I didn't want to just edit everything and redo it. I only realized after the fact when I was um, listening to the whole audio. So, but I digress. How do we get to this? Oh, because Lee is quite comfortable in a secular world where she is still holding on very strongly to her Torah values and her observance. So how does she manage that? Is it a dangerous line? Can everyone do it? How did she resolve writing the name of God in a book she intended for a secular audience? And what is a Jewish Orthodox woman doing writing a secular book anyways? These questions and more in this fun exploration with Lee Hershkovich. Lee Hershkovich, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. Thank you for having me. You must be my youngest guest so far, but boy, are you an accomplished and unique and talented young woman. I am so happy to have you here and connect with you today. Thank you. I'm very excited. You just published uh, a fiction, a novel, a novel, yeah. Shattered Illusions, and you've been called a writer to watch. I wasn't surprised because I, although I haven't read the novel, I've read a lot of your work and you are a prolific and beautiful writer. Um, let's start with the novel. I am so curious about this work. Um, a young single girl writing a novel, um, a fiction. How did this come about? It's a mystery. It's murder. It's not the typical thing an Orthodox Jewish girl would write about. Um, how did this happen? So I was, I've always been a big reader. That's, mm -hmm. my, that's my thing. I'm a bookworm. I, you know, used to 
I used to go through hundreds of books a year. That's not, I wish that was still the case, but you know, back in the heyday, I would go through like 100 to 150 books a year at, you know, that was like my, my minimum. Mm-hmm. And being a, you know, an Orthodox girl and kind of being in both worlds, a lot of this, this regular fiction that I was reading wasn't appropriate for me or Or if I, you know, there were books that I loved, but I didn't feel like I could recommend to my friends who, you know, didn't want to read about um, intimacy and violence and drug use and all of those different things. So I found those books fascinating, but I couldn't necessarily recommend them to my friends. And then there were some books that I loved that were so graphic that I couldn't finish them. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the same time, you know, Jewish fiction wasn't up my alley. It was very plain, very one dimensional, a a lot of the same themes repeated over and over again. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna write a book. It kind of, it kind of came out of nowhere. I, I had always planned on writing. Um, and then, well, I wrote Chattered Illusions in high school, actually. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I really felt like I needed to take the step and just try it and see what ha- would happen. And it took off from there. And, you know, here we are. It's a published novel in my hands. It's a little bit surprising, <laughs> to be wow. honest. It's a cool and amazing accomplishment. Has there been any pushback? Um, what have been the reactions? Um, I wouldn't say there was pushback. I think, well, actually, that's not true. <laughs> I like to give people the benefit of the doubt and say that like people were receptive and open to it. But it, you know, it is weird. A single, a single Orthodox girl who's writing a book that's you know on the shelves of Barnes and Noble and in Amazon. And so the original, the first thought is that people ask me like, oh, it must be like a tell-all. It must be really violent and very sexual and very intense and like you're totally backlashing against the community right (laughs) like that's their first reaction and they're like no No. (laughs) actually the whole point was that I wanted to write a book that was you know interesting enough that it would catch the secular reader's attention Uh but you know clean enough that a orthodox girl my age could pick it up and feel comfortable reading it so I think the only backlash was people would be like well aren't you worried about like you know shidduchim and getting married and what are people going to say if you're a published author and I'm like Mm -hmm. it's just you know, another cool thing on my resume. So good for you. How, uh, how, do, how are you so confident? <laughs> uh, a lot of work. <laughs> you really like you, you know, there's you really have to face these things head on. And something that one of my writing teachers told me when I was working on the final draft of of Shattered Illusions and working on my new novel now is people will not always like what you do. Right. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're a writer, if you're an artist, if you're a business, per- you know, if you're a businesswoman, not everyone's going to agree with you. And you have to be ready for criticism and you have to be ready to say for people to say no to you. And right. it's going to sting, but you also have the choice of how you're going to deal with it. So in the beginning, when Shattered Illusions first came out and people were kind of, you know, didn't know how to be receptive of it. And, um, you know, I remember, oh my gosh, the New York Post called me to interview me to interview me about the book. Uh-huh. And they didn't publish the article because the book wasn't racy enough. What? Yeah, because there was no sex. They would not publish the book. Oh, my goodness. I mean, the interview. So, you know, that was one thing where it was like I had to be prepared for. I wasn't. Pre- I mean, that kind of pushback was a little funny, but I was kind of preparing myself for people within my community to be, um, you know, I mean, I had people tell me that their husbands wouldn't let them read the book because it was being sold in secular bookstores. Ooh, I mean, wow. I mean, and at that point, I was just like, you know what, you do your thing, I do mine. Thank you for, you know, being supportive of my work. And you know, if it's not your if it's not your speed, great. Like, there's a lot of books that I don't like either. But you know, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. just you gotta you gotta take 
things with a grain of salt. I've just realized that, you know, taking yeah, it too. taking it personally doesn't hurt anyone but you. Right. Like nobody cares if I'm taking it personally. I care if I'm taking it personally. Right, 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 right. We don't we don't have to take it personal. And the truth is our work is not necessarily for everybody, right? Absolutely. It's for whoever God is meant for us to be working for and reaching, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I, I do want to stress here that you are a very committed young woman in terms of your learning, of your learning of Jewish mysticism, of Hasidut, your observance. Um, You wrote once that you can learn Tanya and discuss discuss Dostoevsky's War and Peace with the same amount of exuberance and passion. How is it that you became so comfortable in a secular world while while at the same time you're so strong? in your convictions and in your observance of your Judaism. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> I forgot that I wrote that. Oh, man. Uh, no, I'll tell you, I I was not raised observant. My, oh, my okay. So my family is Balchuva, but we be- I became observant at a very young age. How and, young? Uh, about, I mean, we, we started when I was about seven. Okay. And at the time, I was in a public school setting. None of my friends were Jewish, and I was living a regular secular Jewish life in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to the movies on, you make Kiddush on Friday night, and then you turn on the TV and you eat a piece of challah before you go to the movies on Saturday. Like, and your parents are Israeli, right? My parents are Israeli. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So culture was always something that was a big deal to me. Books, movies, uh, pop culture, um, TV shows. I was just like the, 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 the American culture and also Israeli culture. My, my parents really instilled a love of, of Israeli cinema and music in our lives. And at the same time, all of a sudden, we had this transition where my family was starting to become observant. Mm-hmm. So like on car rides, my dad would play Pink Floyd and my mom would play Yosef Cardinier on the same cassette. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, there, you know, it, it, it seems like this very, you know, stark contrast where there's this huge dichotomy between one world and the other. But really, if you think about it, everything in the world is based in Torah, based in Hasidus, based in Judaism. Obviously, you have to take calculations to make sure that you don't stray too far to one side. But I found that the things that I really loved about living a non-observant life helped me appreciate an observant life so much more. Like, for example... I mean, when I teach, um, I find that my students who are not observant are so much more receptive to what I'm saying if I'm teaching Tanya and applying it to their lives. So, you know, I find talk to them about what kind of things they're interested in, the movies they're watching, the music they're listening to, the books they're reading, the, you know, the pop culture that they're involved in. Mm-hmm. And if I can find a spin on that in Hasidus and it's there, right. uh, then then why not give them an understanding and a taste of the fact that there's, you know, we there's a, there's a bridge that needs to gap the two sides of the world. I think a lot of times, at least the, the way that I've seen it is, you know, when I was becoming observant, all of a sudden I had this panic of like, well, do I have to give up everything that I love? Mm-hmm. But what if everything I love helps me understand God so much more right um so for me it was like you know can I have the same excitement when I'm cracking open war and peace and reading a beautiful sentence you know uh, and and my mind is completely enraptured by this and at the same time you know open a homish and learn the partial of the week and really feel like it applies to my life in a way that I have the exact same reaction some however might argue that this is very dangerous territory Absolutely. um <laughs> 
and you know and and it's a good point i i i agree and and i think um you're not a mother yet but maybe when you become a parent we start th seeing things a little bit differently and we know there are some communities who actually shun this like there was right. no way this would be accepted um what do you think what do you think makes a difference where does Is the steadfast the steadfastness come from, or even the ability, like you said, to make those calculations and set those boundaries? And where where do you set them? Well, I think a lot of that comes from my upbringing, mm -hmm. uh, my parents, and the Chabad house where my family became observant. Mm -hmm. We were taught very clear boundaries about what's not what is okay and what's not okay. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even when we weren't observant, there was a very, very, very thick line that we did not cross. Um, and maybe that it's, I attribute that to the fact that my parents were Israeli and they had a little bit more of an understanding and were more cognizant of, of you know, Torah and mitzvahs in a way that other people may not be. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there were certain things about like kosher that were absolute no-nos. Um, even before we were observant, there was a certain way that, you know, my mother would never let us dress. Um, or there just there was something that was morally um, in, ingrained in me and my siblings about what is okay and what's not okay. Mm -hmm. And I think where that comes to play is, you know, and I tell this to people all the time, you can't assume that you're not going to be influenced by the world around you. If you allow yourself to be completely immersed in the world, it's going to affect you and not always in positive ways. And I think the difference here is that I've, I've learned through trial and error how to take the good out of what it is that I see in the world and, and make a very strong boundary against the bad. Mm. And Each person, you know, to each their own, each person is going to figure out a way. And I'll be honest with you, for some people, it doesn't work. For some people, it does not work to um, be in, you know, uh, to, Both. yeah, it just, some, for some people, it's, it's a struggle. And it's a struggle that I understand because there were so many times where I had to make decisions of like, well, how far do I go in, um, in bridging this gap before it becomes, you know, murky waters where you can't tell the difference between one or the other, because at the end of the day, Torah is Torah and a secular life is a secular life. Right. But I, I do think that you can extract the good while teaching, especially when it comes to children. Um, and, you know, with my own students who are high school students, that there is a very fine boundary and each person is going to have to define what that boundary is for themselves. Yes, yes. No, I, I love what you said, extracting the good and then setting a very clear boundary um, around the bad. Um, oh, I hate using that word. That sounded <laughs> awful. The not good. That's the bad, the not good. The, the less, you know, the things that we're less inclined to, uh, to be attracted to. Exactly. Or that are opposite of Torah values. Let's just yeah. put it that way, exactly. right? Exactly. Um, do you, do you, Do you do you have a mentor, a mashpia, somebody who helps you navigate those? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've had I've had my mashpia now since I was 15 and really from that that was the point in my life where I had to make a very um calculated choice about who I was going to be. You know, I had been in a public school environment and then I switched to being in a, in a very, very, very observant um, girls high school. And so that transition was very strange for me because I was coming in with the knowledge of, the you know, my secular life and the world and music. And, you know, I would walk. Oh, my gosh. I like now when I think about it, I realize about I realize how much I didn't understand why my classmates were so freaked out by this. But they had never seen this before, like a girl walking in to a classroom and, I, you know, walking into the classroom in the morning with my iPod playing 
playing Shakira and then closing that and opening my chitas and starting to daven in the morning. Like, that's weird. It is. It's a very weird thing. <laughs> and so it became this thing that I had to sit down and have a conversation with my mishpia about like, how far can I take this? What's okay? What's not okay? So Where did you give up Shakira? Is? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. And it was very hard. Um, but I also realized that like, it does have an effect on you. It does. It uh, does. But it's, you know. but it's interesting what you said before that, you know, for some people, this might be a bigger challenge, whereas for some of us, there's other things that are challenging. So everybody has their challenges. And I think, right. um, like you said, it might not be for everybody. Not everybody might be able to really walk, um, walk with those, walk that line between both worlds. Um, yeah. And, and not be constantly challenged by it. Obviously, sometimes we are, but maybe it's not as prevalent in some of us as it is in others. And, right. and that's how we, we have to know ourselves. And, and a good mentor, a good mashpia also is incredibly important. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so tell me about the book itself. Tell us about the novel. Um, are you in it? <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean... There is one observant character in the book. And the question I get asked most is, are you this girl? And it's like, if I'm this girl, then we're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> um, so it follows four people um, in a rural town in Louisiana following a crime investigation. Basically, these four people who are not citizens of the town witness a murder from different vantage points in in the city. So one person standing on a roof, one person happens to be standing right in front of the person as he's killed at gunpoint um all of these people see the crime from different places uh -huh. and show up to the police to um file witness reports and so the police basically put them together to try and figure out what happened now the thing is is that the book is so much less about the crime and more about what happens to them psychologically and the effects what led them to that exact moment of standing there and their connection to the person who dies and how they react in the aftermath and how that affects the case. Um, and so all of these people, um, the thing that they share in common is that at some point in their life, they've all been victims of something. Um, mm -hmm. and so what happens is that this, this, this mindset of, of being a victim and victimizing themselves and victimizing the other people in the case kind of takes over to the point where you can't really tell what's right and what's wrong and who's lying, who's telling the truth, who saw what. Um, and so it becomes more about um you know the, their connection to this person and how this their connection to this person skews their view of what happened wow I, i'm i'm not much of a fiction reader i'm um I'm, I read a lot. I'm a total bookworm, but now I'm so intrigued. I want to pick this one up and read it. <laughs> I, I do. What's the second book you're working on about? Can we get a peek or no? Sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm happy to share. I love talking about it. Um, so the novel that I'm working on now is very different. Um, it follows a Lebanese Jewish family as they leave Lebanon and move to Israel during the 1950s. It's very loosely based on my grandparents. My mother's parents moved, were expelled from Turkey in the 19, um, the early 19, the late 1940s and were, you know, moved to Israel, um, and lived in displaced person, persons camp for about five years until they were given temporary housing and that was all they received from the government. So there's these, like, 
you know, when we, I, I am a huge lover of Israeli culture and I, you know, I don't, I, I love everything about Israel's history. And as a kid, I used to hear these stories that, you know, that my grandparents would say about how hard of a time the government gave them because they were Sephardi. Mm. And I kind of just pushed it out of my mind because in my mind, like Israel's so wonderful and look what they did and look at how they built the country. And I, I had this kind of like Zionistic pride for how the country was built. Right. Um, especially because, like, that's what I was exposed to. And then the older I got, the more I started to hear these stories and to really understand what um, the minority cultures in Israel went through. So I decided to d- do a little bit of digging. And so I came across um, the stories of different families and different communities from Arab countries who were either expelled or left on their own and left everything behind money and power and amazing beautiful lives to start over in Israel because they really believed in the in the mission of the country mm-hmm. and you know only to start over living in tin, tin shacks with no food and no water um but really the book is about um our memories and how our memories are um how we view our memories differently based on where we are in life you know i basically nost- the how how nostalgia could be so dangerous um Mm. particular for particularly for this family it follows two generations it follows the family the parents that left lebanon and their kids that are born and raised in israel and how the memories of what lebanon was to them juxtaposed against what their lives in israel are like how that affects their kids and generationally how that affects the relationship with of everyone's memories with their homeland which is very uh, was a very intense undertaking and i did not realize what an intense undertaking it would be but this book is manipulating me i mean not manipulating wow. me, just changing me in ways that i did not think was physically possible wow wow how long did it take you to write the first novel shattered delusions um from start to finish it took me about two years um this one has i've been working on a, on it for two years and counting <laughs> wow same publisher um actually planning on working with a different publisher I, I don't have a publisher for for the next book yet okay um but slowly but surely taking taking the process one step at a time wow beautiful yeah even though your book the published book shattered delusions has nothing to do with religion um per se I believe there's mention of God in the book. You use the word and you had a conundrum when spelling the word God in your book. Tell us about that dilemma and how you managed to resolve it. So I came, you know, when I came across, well, there is one Orthodox character in the book. Mm -hmm. And so she, you know, refers to her relationship with God and, you know, how that affects her decisions and everything that happens with the case. And the first time I put the word God in the book, obviously I put a slash between the G and the D. Right. That was just that second nature. And so when my editor and the publisher were reviewing it, they were like, Lee, this is great. But what what the heck? Like, what is this? Mm-hmm. And I I called the rub and I, I I called I called the rabbi and I was like, listen, I know that there's there's reason for me not to do this, but what do I do if I decide to keep the slash in? And so they said you could just write a footnote about the importance of not taking God's name in vain. And so for me, that was like that moment where I had an opportunity to gap to bridge the gap between the secular world and the Jewish world. I'm writing a book for the secular audience. It's going to be sold in regular bookstores but here I have an opportunity to teach people something that they may not know yes. and not a way of like oh it's in your face but it's there once the footnote is in you know the seventh or eighth page of the book and and I actually got a lot of positive feedback about it from people who didn't know that wow um, and it sparked a lot of really interesting conversations with people who I may have never otherwise had anything to do with where they were so curious about this and, and they really wanted to understand this particular thing. So that was a really great eye-opening moment for me where I, I had that opportunity and it was it worked out really well. 
totally eye-opening and and it, it's a testament to why you do why what you do and why people like me also do what we do because really creating that awareness like you said before it's not that we're pushing our faith into uh, you know on anybody or anything like that right. but that other people get to learn and educate yeah. be educate themselves about about others and yeah. break stereotypes and just have a better understanding which leads to more appreci appreciation and just more loving humanity maybe that's idealistic of me but no I that's that's my goal that's, right? that's really my ultimate goal in life is to you know show people I think when people hear I'm uh, orthodox Jewish girl the first thing they think is that I'm you know oppressed and sheltered right. <laughs> and then I open my mouth and they're like oh you are not either of those things but what happens is, you know, you have this opportunity where you can you can kind of show people that there's this shared humanity that we have, no matter our race or our yes. skin color, our religion, we we have these things in common. And and it's a really that's, I think, became kind of like my underlying theme of my life is just to live by example to show people that we're not as scary as you think. Right. And and, and if you think you're scary, it's because you haven't learned enough. <laughs> exactly. You know, the, you, you hate something because you don't understand it. Once you right. understand it, you can't, you can't be afraid of it anymore. Right. And this is a perfect segue to talk about the Gesher Project, which is a beautiful project. Tell us about it. So Gesher was started um, with between myself and one of my students. Mm -hmm. um, she, was, she comes from a secular background and was becoming more observant and was considering going to seminary um, and taking a gap year before college. And so, um, you know, we had a couple conversations about it and we, uh, between myself and um, her Rebbitson in her community, we, we encouraged her to go. And while she was there, she, and similar, and I found this to be similar to my experience um, when I first started in a very observant environment was there was this major dichotomy be between who she was and the Jewish life she was now living. Mm -hmm. And she could not figure out how to make the connection between the things that she had learned and the values that she had attained in a secular in a secular environment, which were good values that she wanted to keep, you know, uh, against the backdrop of Hasidus and Torah and things that she felt really connected to, but suddenly felt very foreign to her. Um, and so, you know, it just it turned into, you know, she was in Israel learning and I was in the United States. And so we would figure out times where we could just sit and she would vent to me about the things that she was struggling with. And I, mm -hmm. I asked her if I could, you know, write down the things that she was struggling with so that I could explore them. And that's how the Gesher project happened. Because as soon as I opened the door for her and I had to start speaking about this, all of a sudden it happened that in the same couple of months, I had started having these conversations with dozens of people. Everybody would talk to would tell me that they were struggling with, you know, just figuring out who they were in the context of, you know, being in college and being an Orthodox Jew or um, wanting to, you know, be a doctor or a scientist or, or all of these different things start to come up where it became very it became very clear to me that there's something missing from the way, at least that I felt there was something missing from the way that we're teaching people about Hasidus where it doesn't, either they don't grasp it or they feel threatened by it to the point where like, oh, this is not for me. And so the Gesher Project kind of became the answer to that question of, well, let's figure out how all of these things relate to us and how, we're, you know, Judaism is not a flyby life. And when you're mm -hmm. in it, you're really in it. Mm -hmm. And how do you understand it? And how do you feel connected to it? And how do you become grounded in 
rooted in Judaism and feel like it's something personal. Um, and so that's that's where Gesher came from. Beautiful. Uh, and and the writing is absolutely magnificent. Thank um, you. You're mostly writing, right? Yes. So it kind of became this thing where my students would submit their questions or their concerns to me and I would write the, every single article on Gesher Project is a response to something that someone asked me about. Uh-huh. Um, pratis or, um, you know, taking on, um, um, taking on new mitzvahs during Tishrei or struggling with, um, you know, like if the, you know, the different things that they were struggling with and in, for me to find a, a balance between their understanding of it in the secular world and what Hasidus has to say about it. Um, so it is mainly me writing. Um, and uh, we're hoping to, I mean, it's it's about a year old. So we're still, you know, in we're still in the early stages of it. But the, the long term goal would be to get my students to start writing on it as well oh, and give them a place where they feel comfortable. And then, you know, to eventually open it up to everybody um, to give them a place where they could feel comfortable exploring these things. Because I... I feel like to a certain degree, we kind of don't give people room to ask questions and to explore and to not understand things. You know, I felt like when I was becoming observant, you learn something once and you don't ask questions. And that's not what the Torah is about. The Torah is all about asking questions and understanding and making it personal. Right. You know, the, the Friedrich Rebbe says that, uh, you, you know, when you learn Chumash, when you learn um, the Parsha every week, you're supposed to be living with it. Um but if I don't feel a personal connection to the Parsha, then how could I live with it? Right. And we're all so different. How, you know, your individuality is so different from our individuality, yet we, we all have a connection to that portion of the week. And so exactly. we need to find it, right? It obviously yeah. spirit connects to us in some way, not just right. spiritually, but if we really get to a deep level of understanding, we could see it on a practical level. Right. And I think the thing that scares people off is when you say to get to a deep understanding about it, they think that that means needing to sit and pour over a chumash for like nine or 10 hours until they get it. It's so much more simple than that. Uh It's so much more simple than that. And if you could find, you know, it's just a matter of finding the one thing that you connect to. Um, you know, I was talking to my students about Parsha Slachacha yesterday, and we were talking about how, um, you know, one of my students said, oh, Avram was kind of a rebel. If you think about it, yeah, Avram was, he was. was a trailblazer, was rebellious. He stood up for what he believed in in a world where standing up for what he believed in was crazy. Yeah. And that's essentially what you do as a, you know, what my, what my students, my secular students are doing every day as Jewish kids in public schools. They're kind of, re- you know, not rebelling in a negative way, rebelling in a positive way. They're standing up for what they believe in, and, you know, they're not going to to prom on Shabbos and they're not, you know, going with their friends to not kosher restaurants. That's rebellious if you yes. think about it because that's completely against societal norms. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. the connection to the Porsche right there. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. How awesome. So wait, so you teach in, where do you teach? So I, I'm the creative director at C-Teen, at the Chabad Teen oh, Network. right. Um, right. The way that I ended up getting to this point where now I'm I'm working with the students is um, I oversee a magazine that the teens in their respective C teen chapters run. So they write, you know, articles and and um, editorials and they they make videos and I oversee all of that development. Very and cool. through the process of that, they approached me individually over the last five years. I think I've had like this happen with close to thirty of them. Uh-huh. They all approached me and asked me if we could start learning together. Or they had questions that they felt like, you know, they would be judged for if they if they asked um their rabbi or someone in their community who who seemed a little bit more orthodox or more traditional. So I guess what happened was they saw me as someone who was out of the box. Right. And so essentially they became my students. 
Wow. And so I learn with them. I mean, with e- each group is like, you know, different and depends on the timing, but I try to learn with them at least once a week. Very cool. So I have to ask you, how do you find, how do you organize your time? Your, your hands are in so <laughs> many beautiful, wonderful projects and they all connect somehow, but you still yeah. have to be very organized. How do you do it? Yeah. I, um, I learned to say no. No, that's, <laughs> that's a big comes, one. That's what it comes down to. You know, when I was, when I first, you know, all, none of these projects all happened at once. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like, you know, on top of this, I should, I feel like I should mention is ter- in terms of the timing conversation. I'm also in the process of finishing my bachelor's. So Whoa. It, it's a lot. <laughs> um, you know, there's, I just found that what happened was with juggling all of these things, I felt like it was my duty, my moral obligation to say yes to everyone. Because if I could help someone, if I could, you know, have a conversation with someone that would, you know, help affect their day, or if, you know, there was, or if there was a project that needed to be taken care of for work, or if my friends needed something, or, you know, all of these things were piling up. And all of a sudden, I realized that I wasn't actually doing anything efficiently. Right. Um, instead of doing three things well in a day, I was doing, you know, eight things really, really poorly. Um, and so I started to structure my time in a way that I say, listen, this is the window that I have for you. Um, not from a place of like anger or judgment, but just boundaries. Right. If right. I can't show people that I take my time seriously, then they're not going to take my time seriously. And at first, it was really hard. I don't like saying no to people. It's my least favorite word. But I I found that I I had to, um, because I was getting swallowed whole. And like, you know, if you if you imagine yourself as a vessel, right? Mm -hmm. If your vessel's empty, you can't pour anything into anyone else's vessel. Correct, correct. So it just became this thing of like, I get up really, really early in the morning and my morning is mine. I'm not available to the general public, (laughs) to my students, to work, to school, to Gesher before 10 a.m. And between 6 and 10, I do whatever it is that I need to do to make sure that my day runs efficiently. So answer emails, you know, write in my notebook, uh, take down my schedule, go for a run or just, you know, lie in bed and meditate, whatever it is. Um, and each day has its own structure. I think people think that when you have a schedule, you have to do the exact same thing every day, but no two days are going to be identical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's just taking it one step at a time, you know, and also giving yourself room for error because life is imperfect and things will not ever go c- the way you want them to. Life happens. Um, life happens. So it's just a matter of, you know, knowing that I value what I need to do enough to be able to say that I have to take space from my from my in, from the things that I love in order to recharge myself and to say that. So super important. I'm so impressed that you figured this one out. This is a real biggie for women. I'm so impressed that you oh, figured yeah. it out at such an early age. Call <laughs> kabot to you because Thank you. <laughs> as you embark in marriage and motherhood, this is going to come yes. very handy. <laughs> oh, yes. This is like something, you know, that I that I am anticipating now. It's just, you know, like in preparation for my wedding is like, how is all of this going to change now? Yeah, well, you you'll use these same skills of yeah. grief of focusing and setting the boundaries and, you know, to do what you need to get done at every yeah. stage in your life. So good for yeah. you. Thank you. Amazing. All right, Lee, let's do some JLP fill in the blanks. And this is the part of the show when I give you an open ended sentence, and you fill it with the first thing that comes to mind. You don't have to overthink it. You just say whatever you think. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's do it. 
All right. I'm Lee Hershkovich, and I feel most spiritual when? I'm cooking. Really? You're big into yeah. the kitchen? <laughs> I <laughs> wasn't expecting that one. Wait, <laughs> talk to me about this. <laughs> okay. So I grew up around Sparty women who love to eat. Oh. My mom is one of 10 siblings. Every single one of my mom's sisters cooks for a living. So okay. there was never an occasion in our house where there was not a lot of food, food <laughs> being consumed or cooked. And so and there was like a f- very religious ritual into it. You know, you give tzedakah before you cook and you like daven that the food should come out well. And there's always music playing in the background and people are saying to him and like, it's just a very spiritual experience. So. I feel like I want to make a, I, I imagined it as a movie scene, just the oh, way you yeah. described it. Yeah. Like that was actually something that I wrote into the novel that I'm working on now was like a big thing was like that cooking, that spiritual cooking ritual of I feel like I, you know, because food is such a central part of Jewish life. Yes. You know, if you think about Shabbos and Yom Tov and dinners and this thing and that thing and Bikur Cholim and like anything you do is is revolving around food. So it's such a spiritual thing to be able to do something for someone, you know. So how did you get from, I I thought this, you know, the usual is, well, my aunt and my mother, they were very big into the kitchen, but they never let us in. So I'm so not into it. You know, that's what I've heard before. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You've taken the opposite. (laughs) My family was not like that. We were in the kitchen. Uh And, and from, I just, I really, I, and this is the other thing, this is the other part of the uh, secular Jewish gap. You know, we were never allowed to eat treif. Uh-huh. We would go to not kosher restaurants, but like you're getting cheese pizza or vegetarian egg rolls. And, you know, I loved my family's food, but it wasn't what I was seeing on TV. When you watch the Food Network, it's all, you know, classics yeah. and dishes. That's not what my mom was making. My mom was making kuba, which is great, uh-huh. but wasn't what I was interested in tasting, but there were no kosher options for that. So my mom gave me the space in our kitchen to experiment and learn how to make all of this food into kosher food. Very uh, cool. And so that became that became like, you know, when I'm stressed or if I need to have a conversation with God, you will find me chopping vegetables. Oh my gosh, this is hysterical. <laughs> I recently had recorded an interview with somebody, the same thing. That's her spiritual moment. And I was like, oh, what? Yes, it's it's there, not mine. There's something there. There's there's definitely something there. I love it. All right. My favorite mitzvah or one that I connect with the most is? Tzedakah. Aw. <laughs> so I guess, I guess, let me ask you now, when I give tzedakah, I like to give to? Oh, uh, Bikur Cholim and Mikvah.org. Very cool. Good for you. Mm-hmm. My fondest Jewish, my fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is? Simchas mm, Torah uh, and the Chabad house where my family became observant. Oh, very nice. And that's in California, right? Yeah, San Francisco. Something I wished I had learned about Judaism growing up is? It's not as scary as you think. Oh, cool answer. <laughs> cool answer. I think I, I feel like I want to blast it everywhere. I want to tweet it everywhere. <laughs> uh, finally, I'm Lee Hershkovich, and today I am most grateful for? My community. So nice. <laughs> and your community really is a very broad community. Yes. Yes, my community is, you know, my my work community, my my home life, my um, school life, you know, the, the people that I work with on Gesher, the, the people who are involved in my fiction writing. Like, you know, you know how they say it takes a village to raise a child? It takes a village to be an adult. Yes. There oh. are so many people involved in, in helping me and like, you know, I imagine life like a garden. And like, I'm constantly being pruned and, and like helped along by so many different people in my life. 
that if I didn't have this community and like the different facets of the community, I don't think that I would be where I, I know I wouldn't be where I am now. Wise lady, Lee Hershkovich, <laughs> thank you so much for being here. You are thank so, you. so wise beyond <laughs> your years and you make me so proud and I'm so happy we got to connect. The book is Shattered Illusions. We can pick it up on Amazon or anywhere books are sold, correct? Yes. And we can't wait till the next book. Now I'm totally Thank intrigued. And Thank I hope, you. I hope you come visit us again and tell us about the next project. And everyone, the website is also gesherproject.wordpress. Um, and I yeah. will put that in the show notes. Amazing writing. If you're ev you've ever been curious about different concepts in Hasidut or in Jewish mysticism and how they apply in, you know, in practicality, this is definitely the place to go. Lee, thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you to Lee Herchkovich for stopping by. Her book is Shattered Illusions, and you can find it on Amazon and everywhere books are sold. To follow her writing on Jewish mysticism and bridging the gap between secular and Jewish thought, go to gesherproject.wordpress.com. You know, Gesher means bridge, right? You got that? I, I should have explained it during the episode, but I think you all probably know that. If not, now you learn something new. Gesher means bridge in Hebrew. And she's on Facebook at Lee Herchkovich and on Twitter at Lee, L-E-I-G-H underscore E-S-T. All of this and more back at JewishLatinPrincess.com. Speaking of which, Lee mentioned starting the Gesher project based on her students' questions. Well, guess what? I think I mentioned it to you before that we were working on this. Um, we are working on creating an Ask Yael episode, probably only once a month, at least for now. We've received many questions over the years through the blog and most recently, a lot through the via email or through the blog, but since the launch of the podcast. And we've collected numerous recent questions. We started recording episodes, so stay tuned for those. Hopefully, they'll be, they'll be a lot of fun. In order to keep them going, go ahead and click on Ask Yael back at JewishLatinPrincess.com and send me your Jewish lifestyle questions, things you always wondered about, things that intrigued you, perhaps you didn't feel comfortable asking, or you were not satisfied with the answer you received back when you were younger, even as an adult. I don't prom promise to know everything, but I do promise to have a perspective and an angle and to be completely honest and to look for an answer for you. I will do my best to reach out and find out from sources, reliable sources, when there is something that totally stumps me, and I'm sure there will be. So go ahead, um, shoot me those questions. You can certainly do it anonymously. That's totally fine. At Ask Yael back on JewishLatinPrincess.com or send me an email at Yael at JewishLatinPrincess.com. I look forward to starting that conversation. And also, I'm inviting co-hosts as well for those episodes. So if you think you'd like to get on the mic with me and co-host an Ask Yael episode with me, we do it remotely, you can send me an email and I'd love to connect with you and bring you on and together we can navigate the listeners' questions and engage in a conversation that will hopefully be helpful to my listeners. Please do leave a rating on iTunes and share the podcast with the women you love. And for now, have a beautiful day. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit JewishLatinPrincess.com.